0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. I'm your host this week, Carl Ulrich. I'm Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, where I teach entrepreneurship innovation as well as product design. I'm really lucky to be joined now in the studio by Adam Savin, who's the co-founder and CEO of PeopleGrove. Adam, thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Excited hey, to fir- be here. First things first, I, I, uh, disclosure. Uh, I'm an investor in People Grove, and and uh, and so I hope you're wildly successful because I got in mind a condo across the street. I'm hoping to buy with my proceeds. Me, me, hopefully, me too. Yeah, we're good. grateful, <laughs> we're great to have you on board. All right, thanks, Adam, for coming in. All right, so you have a have an awesome domain name, and I want to circle back on that question in a little while. But it's People Grove, just the word People and the word Grove put together. No fussiness, just PeopleGrove.com. And Adam, go ahead and give us the elevator pitch for People Grove.
1: Yeah, certainly. So what we focus on is how can we help students, young professionals of all backgrounds, have access to the mentors, coaches, and advisors they need to succeed. Uh, So for a student, that's oftentimes helping them access alumni who can inform career decisions, open doors to opportunity. And when that happens, we think we can really transform lives.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about a real specific use case. I, I know, I think at least part of Wharton, the Wharton School, is a, is a customer. And I don't know how typical Wharton is as a, as a customer, but, but maybe you could either use Wharton or, or another university as an example and just walk us through sort of specifically what functionality. Yeah, for sure. Provides. Yeah.
1: And yeah, Wharton is a great partner. Um, I would even point us towards a school called UMUC. UMUC yeah, yeah. Okay. it's University of Maryland's nonprofit online so warden's great don't get me wrong yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know we want to think about all students here yeah. too all right tell and us
0: about UM wait say it again UMUC. U-
1: M- UMUC so okay. 90,000 students Wow uh, a lot of former military average age of their students is 36 Wow. and for those individuals They sign on to a platform called Mm CareerQuest, powered by PeopleGrowth. Ah, interesting. And when they do so, they're able to reveal, I'm studying cybersecurity. I'm a first-generation student. I'm a veteran. And from there, we're able to recommend specific mentors in the UMUC network that are keen and happy to help those individuals. Mm -hmm. And it's not just recommending, here are people to reach out to but also using software to coach someone on how that student builds that relationship. How do I reach out to this individual who doesn't know me? Mm -hmm. So that's one piece of it, uh, helping those students access these individuals who are invested in their success. Mm -hmm. In that same platform, these students can also discover advisors who are there, have open office hours, and begin to make up that student success team Mm -hmm. and bringing this all-in-one platform particularly for umuc students that are fully online is a transformative experience because they don't have an office to walk into Mm.
0: and and what does the so i i get the vision and i and i really and it sounds like there's there's two basic types of uh, people who can support the student the the mentor network which I presume is sort of a volunteer uh, alumni network and then the advisor network. Um, what is the actual mechanics of the interaction? Is it a, is it a discussion forum? Is it look like email? What, what does it actually look like?
1: Yeah. yeah, for sure. And, and before I even answer that, yeah. I'll even, you know, give an example, first year students accessing peers, seniors who forge their path. Yeah. So it's really anyone that makes up that extended yeah. community. And in terms of, how people communicate, there's actually a spectrum of options. Mm -hmm. So for some, it might be, here's an alum that raises their hand and says, let's do a 30 minute video chat. And if I can help inform your path, great, let's leave it at 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And some schools call that flash mentoring. Yeah. In other situations, it's, we're both bought into this idea that you can learn from me, I can learn from you and we'll actually create monthly milestones. To track our progress and really set goals, mm-hmm. um, so that's kind of the the spectrum of the one to one connections, and it might happen over video chat, yeah, in person over coffee, a phone call, all through our system when it is video or phone.
0: Okay, you mean you're these you you're not going to some third party solution? It's all embedded within PeopleGrowth, exactly. Yeah,
1: um, which is important because the school wants to track these I interactions. See. Yeah, um, but. The other point you, note, you noted is how do you leverage a larger community? Yeah. So, you know, in certain schools, they have these groups—people interested in education, consulting—and you're able to leverage the knowledge of a crowd and, and leverage more like a forum. Mm-hmm.
0: How how do you engage? How do schools engage the advisors? Let's say the non-professional advisors, and then how does the matching work? The matching process work?
1: Yeah. So, it's it's I often get it. Ask like, why do people do this? Yeah. Um, and and the truth is, not everyone will. Right. Uh, like as Adam Grant's book indicates, there's a large number of givers, and they're just excited to pay it forward. Yeah. And what they want to make sure is that they can set their capacity level. Mm, I see. So I'll do this, but I can only do it twice per month. Mm-hmm. And in addition to being here for others, they also have an opportunity to access other givers. Right. Um. So. That's one important piece is like expectation setting that each person can set their own commitment level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there, their affinity to their institution, their willingness to pay it forward is enough to actually get usually between 10 and 20 percent of an alumni network to join an opt-in. Wow. And there's so many more alumni than students that yeah. supply is never the
0: bottleneck. Yeah. Is there a mechanism? I, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking ahead to what i would anticipate to be some challenges and one is that people are enthusiastic about joining and then maybe don't follow through so is there a way to identify people who are who are are being non-responsive
1: yeah there is and so even beyond that you know to use an analogy imagine you're in a bar and everyone really wants to talk to each other but for some reason sometimes no one breaks the ice yeah uh these interactions are not that too are not that dissimilar. So imagine you're a student, you sign on, we recommend three perfect people for you to connect with. Uh-huh. Well that's not enough. Yeah. When you clicked connect, we coach you exactly on what to say in that message. Like if I address you, Carl, as hey Carl, right. you might be like, <laughs> Who's this guy saying hey to me? Right. Um or if I even mention the word job, yeah. You're gonna be like, I thought you were curious about entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah. So, as a student types, we're able to give real time feedback on all of these things mm. so now f- from the get go, the message you receive is going to be more enticing for you to respond to, yeah, but let's say you don't respond to it. Our system can automate a reminder, yeah, um, we can send it as a text message um and then, if for whatever reason, you just never respond, well, we can factor that into who we recommend going mm-hmm. forward um so Again, because you're in the system, the communication is happening within. It still syncs with your email address. It's all easy for you to use, not creating new barriers. Mm-hmm. But our system can be smart and learn from these interactions. Yeah.
0: So I, I mean, I, I think the pain point is probably pretty obvious for, for both the, the end user and for the institution. But higher education, institutions of higher education are notoriously strapped. And this isn't a charity for you. So how, how do you get an organization like UMUC to feel enough pain to actually be willing to pay money for this? Like, yeah. Yeah. Just talk a little bit about the benefit proposition and, and the willingness to pay. Yeah, yeah.
1: So our value proposition has to meet both learners but also the institution. Right. So if we take a university and we think of it like a business, what are the metrics that matter? Uh, enrollment Mm -hmm. because if students aren't paying tuition dollars, where's the revenue coming from? Uh, And I can speak to how we work with enrollment offices. Uh, Two, student success. If students aren't graduating, uh, that's also a big problem. People aren't going to want to enroll. They're not paying tuition dollars when they drop out. Three, alumni engagement. If you're an alum and I haven't Talk to you for 30 years, and now I ask uh, for you to put me in your will, which schools actually do, um, you're probably not going to say yes. Uh, And then career outcomes. If schools can't speak to these career outcomes, and again, not everyone gets a job on a job board, the premise of a university kind of begins to unravel. And so when we go in and talk to schools, we have to speak to how unleashing your community at scale in this way Can drive
0: these metrics forward yeah Um, and then the roi is there yeah but but i gotta say i mean that all sounds awesome but they're all objectives well maybe not the first one but most of those are objectives that are relatively hard to measure and have very long time delays so are you able just to make a qualitative argument or can you bring metrics to bear uh to to the customer
1: well, of course, we're a new company. So as yeah. much as I would love to point to longitudinal data, I, I don't always yeah. have that luxury. Yeah. Um, but what I do benefit from is schools buying into a lot of those concepts. Yeah. Um, I don't have to be data-driven to explain that if an alum is engaging in these sorts of ways, they are more likely to yeah. volunteer. We we see it at DePaul and Georgetown. We have done analysis and seen Giving is goes up a lot when you have these positive yeah. interactions. Um, the enrollment side is really interesting for for our company, and we're looking more into it because let's say you admit a thousand students to your school, but five hundred actually enroll. Mm-hmm. So you spent all this money marketing to that uh, other five hundred, yeah. but they didn't show up. Yeah. Well, why? Is it because? I mean, sh- sure, financial reasons are at play, right. but there are other reasons, right? Um, so that's immediate like ROI there. Mm-hmm. So these are all things we grapple with and think about because the warm and fuzzies are not enough yeah. to make a business out yeah. of this.
0: Yeah. And and how big a financial commitment is it? You probably you know, I'm sure pricing is very idiosyncratic, but just give us some sense of what an institution yeah. pays. Yeah. Um so the factors that it
1: depends upon. Yeah. One size of institution. Yeah. Michigan's huge. Right. Wellesley's much smaller. Right. Uh two, I mentioned all these like success metrics. Yeah. Well, those are different solutions behind I them. I see. So we've got some schools that are reaching six digits with us. Mm-hmm. A full like enterprise contract. Mm-hmm. Other times it's just the business school and it's yep. more like, you know, 10,000 per year.
0: Yeah. Okay, so somewhere between 10,000 and 100,000 depending on size of institution. Rough no- round numbers. Fair I, enough. I I know. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. No, so that I mean that's another answer, Adam, it seems to me, which is if you're asking an organization with a few hundred million dollar a year budget for a $30,000 commitment. Uh, you don't have to be super convinced that of the RO. i mean you're you know the roa is not that hard uh, uh, yeah. to to make so that, that i I, yeah. I mean
1: put it this way if, yeah. if a single student is retained right. because of our exactly. platform i mean that's un- unfortunately not everyone thinks in those terms right. when they make software decisions right. but to me the roi is yeah. clear yeah
0: yeah all right so uh take us back to the beginning what what's the origin story uh, it's a, it's a
1: lengthy one but uh <laughs> So this is not our first swing of the bat. Okay. So. And who's we? um, My co-founder Riley and I. We uh, have been on this journey since we were juniors of college, interning together. Wow. And
0: And that was how long ago? Just so to calibrate us. (laughs) How How old am I? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, no. How long have you guys been working together? So about eight years. Eight years. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And
1: you know, we were both super lucky and and grateful that individuals did open doors to us. Mm And so one of those doors was we both got a job at Google and that was after we'd worked in finance so it was like summer camp. Wow. We,
0: we had all this free time and we're like what well, what are we going to do with it? <laughs> Wait, uh, so you had you had a, you'd been in the grind in 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 the financial services industry and then Google is a, is summer camp after that? Oh, oh yeah.
1: Oh, that's funny. I yeah. mean, you know, rainbow colored bikes, free food. It it, <laughs> it it didn't feel like a job. <laughs> but uh it was a great uh it, it was kind of grad school for me because yeah. I got to watch how Google, you know, does OKRs, their goal setting process, yeah. how their managers are there to guide and empower, not just give you comments on your documents at you know, crazy hours of the day. Right. But altogether Riley made and I made it there and we started working on a side project. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, where it started was we had a bunch of disgruntled friends Mm -hmm. who tindered for three hours every day. And so we said, at work. (laughs) Yeah. So we said, let's combine these dynamics. Let's build a Tinder for jobs app. Ah. Catchy from a marketing phrase, not a great uh, startup uh, idea. And in terms of it didn't work. Yeah. Um, Solved problems for job seekers, not employers. So we went back to the drawing board and thought about what, what we'd, what we learned, uh, and it was that it's not hard to apply to jobs. If you sit on a computer for an hour, you can apply to a lot. Yeah. Um, it's hard for many to even get access to opportunities in the first place. Mm. Riley and I had been lucky. We had, had alums that referred yeah. us to, to Google. Yeah. Um, so that became our north. And as you can imagine, breaking into higher ed is hard. And so we started by showing up uninvited to schools Mm -hmm. Uh, and one was local. It was Stanford and we had a really pretty PowerPoint and we made it seem like we had this developed product that was ready for Stanford. We hadn't built any of it. Yeah. And they said, well, it's great, but it's missing these 20 things and Mm. we're making a decision two months from now on a product. Mm. And then Riley, my CTO had a fun two months.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we need to underscore this a little bit. So, when you say you show up on announce, you literally march into the advising office at Stanford University?
1: Yeah. I mean, essentially, I've done that many times. Yeah. You know, if I'm you know, nearby making a trip to New York, I'll knock on Columbia's door and just yeah. say, Hey, I'm interested. Got thirty minutes to chat. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we did to get ten schools to take a risk on us. Mm-hmm. Schools are not, you know, risk loving by any right. means. They have a brand to protect. Yeah. So there was no chance they were gonna work with someone they never met hadn't built rapport with. So that's what was necessary to get that first 10.
0: You mean to make the a personal connection? They 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 liked you, they connected with you, and they in some sense you built some trust that you could deliver. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And what did that first product look like? So it certainly evolved from what it
1: is today, but it is a skeleton version of of what we have now. Mm-hmm. Um and for Stanford, they had this long-running mentoring program. Uh, in their own words, they said it needed a, a remake. and needed to be modernized. And we worked with them to, like, create what they thought that was. So they were that development partner that informed
0: our early roadmap. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. I'm your host this week, Carl Ulrich, and I'm speaking with Adam Savin, who's the co-founder and CEO of PeopleGrove. Um, Adam, t- tell us, just give us a little bit of the timeline. So you and Riley are sitting at Google, you've got this side project going on, you failed it at one, and then at, at, at that point, did you continue to work on PeopleGrove on the side or by then had you quit quit jobs? And and why don't you just give us a little bit of the timeline yeah. to when you said, okay, we're really doing this. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I'll try to give the uh, Cliff Notes version. All right. <laughs> uh, so Riley and I worked on a side project uh, from the end of 2013 mm-hmm. to February of 2014. Yeah. In February, we irrationally decided we were going to go all in with Tinder for Jobs. Yeah. We didn't know any better, and yeah. we— You know, we're lucky we didn't have student loans and we uh, saw an article in some like UK glamour magazine and that was enough of a signal that we were going to be big. Um, And then towards the, so we pursued that for about a year and a half, like end of 2015. And it was gruesome because essentially what we'd done is build a pretty app, but not validate it in any way Uh, before building it. So there were times where I would go to Westfield mall and knock on doors and say, could this be useful to you? (laughs) So we were trying to fit a market to a product, not a product. It was just a mess. Um, And at that point we had raised like family and friends money to to do a lot of this. Um, And we were down to like last 10% um, talking like, look at the bank. And it was like, Ten fifteen k. Yeah, that was the exact time we had that meeting with Stanford. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it was like the fire burning beneath our feet that invigorated this, but in the end of twenty fifteen, that's really when. And we were we were always full time at this point. We went all in
0: with people growth. So let's just see. Let's just reflect on that a little bit and give some advice. So, so what would you do if you were doing it again? How, how would you have approached the, the, the problem of, of identifying an opportunity that yeah. you wanted to work on? Yeah.
1: I mean, everyone read, you know, maybe not everyone, but I'm sure people are familiar with a lean startup yeah. and it's so easy to read those pages, but it's really hard not to apply those pages. Yeah. And so what I love that we do today is we sell things we haven't yet built. Uh, we will create a, you know, a PowerPoint deck. We will essentially MVP a concept mm-hmm. and get feedback, see if it resonates. So we don't need anything more than like a beautiful still image. Yeah. And in, like, if I had done that back in the day, we would have avoided a whole
0: lot of learning experiences. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, yeah. But so let's just put underscore that a little bit. It's it's still a it's still a push. Like you're going in front of somebody with something you think could be useful. The difference is you've invested almost nothing yeah. before you've gotten some feedback on it. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's, it's gotta be feedback from who you expect to be that customer. Yeah. Um you can sit in a room for ages anticipating this, that, researching, but none of it's real if who you think will be your customer won't buy it yeah Uh, and i also also what i'm i guess advocating for is a little bit different for b2b businesses versus b2c Mm -hmm. for b2b which is really what we are if this person we believe we're selling into can't buy into a powerpoint deck the product isn't going to make a difference right whereas for b2c it's a little bit different yeah um sometimes you got to put like a product mvp out there because what people say they'll do doesn't always right. uh, predict much. and
0: it's a le- it's typically less functional. I mean, uh, you know, an a enterprise product it, it does a job for somebody and yep. they, yeah, that's pretty easy to understand. Typically, talk talk a little bit about the. Um, actually, I got a couple of questions. I want to. I I got to circle back on, on something my my assistant put in the in the notes here, which I thought was really interesting. Your original product name was Campus Kudos. Yeah. Oh, Adam. Uh, what I, well, before that, it was enjoyment. Oh,
1: enjoyment! Yeah. yeah, that is a EMJ, Apparently, not in the English language, yeah. which I was informed of later.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah, just tell. I I, I compliment you on People Grove, but just <laughs> I think it's worth underscoring how you got from Campus Kudos to uh, to People Grove, and did you have to pay for it? Uh
1: <laughs> so we paid for it emotionally a yeah. little bit because yeah. Stanford had kindly made an introduction actually to Intuit. Mm. And they said the product you've built is actually one Intuit ah. is looking for internally for their early career talent to access mentors within the yeah. company. And when I, you know, met them, yeah, <laughs> someone there literally said, What's with the name? Yeah. Like yeah campus kudos um (laughs) and so from there i mean i i can't say that there was much science behind it we went to GoDaddy, and we endlessly searched for things that we thought made sense and i somewhere found this reference this biblical reference of all things to a grove, which represents the sharing of knowledge past present and future and just loved it yeah um that's good
0: yeah. So, and was it available, or did you have to pay? It, the it was available. Wow, that's <laughs> yeah. awesome. That's such a such a great story. Except sometimes people call us PeopleSoft. <laughs> ah, that, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So we just have a minute, but I wonder if you could just give us one minute on financing. Tell us a little bit about the financing process. Yeah. One minute
1: on financing. Yeah. Uh, so we. Uh raised our last round in July mm-hmm. and before that had tried a number of times. And really what I found and I'm hearing this from my peers is when trying to raise a seed round, let's say a, a one point five to two million seed rounds, mm-hmm. that you've got to have revenue. Yeah. There's so many startups out there that investors wanna see that you're on a million run rate. Yeah. Um unless you've got some crazy PhD AI team. Yeah. yeah. Um and so when we, in july we we'd met that goal yeah. uh we were growing quickly we had happy customers our investors could diligence uh and really it was all about just getting that lead investor yeah which wasn't easy but once that first domino fell things got so much easier yeah
0: yeah i, I mean i i participated and and i you know you guys had had Significant traction. It was very impressive. So anyway, we're we're out of time, Adam. But thanks so much for coming in. This is super interesting. Yeah, that flew by. Thank you. All right. So just visit peoplegrove.com. That great name. Coming up, I'll be joined by David Cannington, who's the co-founder of New Hera who has an award-winning intelligent wireless earbud. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation. And you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111.